from the offices of Cocktail Collective, this is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. As the interest in low and no alcohol options increases, a lot more established alcohol brands are creating non-alcoholic options. Warners, who are best known for their all-natural gins, are the latest distillers to tackle this new market. With their 0% botanical garden spirits, the brand has released two expressions, a double juniper dry and a pink berry variant. We talked to the brand's creator, Tom Warner, about natural ingredients, what it takes to get a non-alcoholic spirit right, and of course, how you can drink their two new expressions. Thank you for joining us, Tom. It's a pleasure, Tiff. Thanks for having me. Now, Warner's is known for their gins. What made you think to enter into the non-alcohol space? I think as a brand, our slogan's been United in Spirit, and that's about sort of uniting people in a joyous occasion. And the reality was, if you're only making something that's alcoholic, which is what we've done from the start with gin, and in doing so, you know, harnessing what's around us and and bringing our farm-born sort of natural flavours to everyone, you can only do that to a select portion of people if you're only using an alcoholic product to do so. So we felt that the sort of non-alcoholic spirit category was crying out for some sort of real authenticity so it's a simple decision to try and bring what we do with gin to the non-alcoholic spirits category and, and therefore enable us to bring our sort of farm-grown natural flavours to another audience that we wouldn't have reached if we'd solely focused on uh, gin and other alcoholic sort of uh, drinks. So it enables us to bring that passion, that craft, that creativity that we've got at the farm and our love for the environment and bring it to a whole new audience, which is really exciting. Do you think that ultimately it's going to perhaps split your established market, though? I think there's a there's a concern with that, but that, I think that's the whole thing with Black Lives Matter and, and All Lives Matter. You know, there's always going to be people that take offence to certain movements that go on. The reality is we are doing this with all the best intentions. If you don't want to drink a non-alcoholic spirit, you don't have to. And if you don't want to drink an alcoholic spirit, you don't have to. And it, it's giving people the option And I think there are certain people that are very stoic and love their gin and tonic and would think that what we're doing with non-alcoholic spirits is the work of the devil. But the reality is there is a huge demand for this. And we've spent a long time making spirits that are not a compromise. So if you do want to moderate, if you are sober curious, if, if you are driving, you can be involved in the ritual of having a proper grown up drink that's been well made a lot of care and attention and you're not missing out you are still part of that wonderful social event that we all like doing and you're getting a a fantastic drink so you don't think that perhaps this no and low movement is only a temporary fad you think it will keep going and is important to today's consumers i think it's increasingly important i think with people over a certain age it's probably less so important i think culturally the youth of today has been changed immeasurably by social media so these guys are very conscious about their looks they're very conscious about their 
physical appearance. They're very conscious about their health, the amount of information we now have. You know, crikey, go back 40 years and smoking was probably good for you at that point in time. So we learn a lot as a society and a civilization as we evolve. And wants and desires change. I think one thing that could jeopardize the future of non-alcoholic spirits is the category's really been launched by what I would describe as marketing businesses. And there are very few genuine distillers stuck into the category right now. So there's been a lot of contract production, which has meant that the vanguard of the non-out movement, which created it and fed and kudos to them, the reality is they weren't distillers. These guys were, got their stuff contract produced. And I think the quality is probably suspect. You know, up until now, I think the non-out spirits, spirits category has been a bit of a compromise in terms of flavor. We could have rushed something to market a lot quicker because we've been looking at this opportunity for, for sort of three years. But the reality is we spent a very long time perfecting what we're doing. And that's marrying not just the process of how we make it, but the also the horticultural side, which is growing the ingredients specifically for the product. And, you know, you can't turn that on like a light switch. So I think it's not going to be a flash in the pan. We see this growing. I think the worry is that there's a lot of poor quality non-alcoholic spirit out there at the moment, which could, if you look at non-alcoholic beer, when non-alcoholic beer first came out sort of 25 years ago, it was ropey. People really mm. didn't see it as a viable option. Whereas yeah. now you've got absolutely fantastic non-alcoholic beers available for people. And I think that's opening up that category. I think spirits will accelerate through that ropey to decent phase a lot quicker. And I think as long as it does that and people aren't put off with their first experience, I see it being a part of the category moving forward. Now, there are a number of different non-alcoholic brands, especially in the UK on the market at the moment, what do you think makes yours different from the ones that already exist? For me, what makes us different, I think the fact that we're actually distillers, we're producing it. So number one, most of the other alcoholic stuff that's available is contract produced. We've been spearheading or leading the craft uh, gin charge for the last eight years. And as such, we're pretty long in the tooth when it comes to um, craft distilling, which has been a very experimental part of the drinks industry because it's it's really pushed the envelope for everyone. If craft distilling hadn't happened, we'd still be walking into bars that were a bit like a McDonald's menu, the same spirits mm. on the same... The environment would be different every bar you walked into, but it would have the same spirits that were produced by the same big names and distributed globally. So I think craft has brought huge experimentation into the world. And with that... I believe craft to be way ahead of the big boys in terms of understanding what you can do with botanicals and experimentation. So you combine that with what we do at the farm. And I think that's what makes our products, our non-alcoholic spirits unique. In fact, there's, there's a lot of debate over the word spirit because there are some stoic people in the industry who say, oh, it's, well, it's not a spirit because they look very one dimensionally at what a spirit is. It's only very recently that spirit has become synonymous with alcohol. The original sort of um, alchemists that started distilling, the spirit was the essence of the ingredient that they were distilling. And no matter what they did, it, it came off the stills clear. That's why they said they were capturing the spirit of the ingredient that they were doing. And a lot of the time, they weren't involving alcohol in that process. So what we're doing is we're, we're harnessing the essence or the spirit of these ingredients. We're doing it in four different ways as well. So 
We're growing them on the farm. That means we can either use them fresh or dried to optimize the flavor extraction. 90% of the ingredients that go into our non-alcoholic spirits are from the farm. All the botanicals are 100% natural. And there's four different processes involved, one of which is a hydrolyte distillation. Then there's four different types of maceration at different temperatures and in slightly different liquids to actually give us all the ingredients that we then blend together to create the final product. So I think fundamentally the way it's produced is different to anyone. There is more craft and process than any other alcoholic spirit currently available. And I think the second difference is they really deliver in a drink. Our non-alcoholics get better with dilution. And we're not scared of people trying them neat, but most non-alcoholic spirits currently, as soon as you add the tonic, they vanish. Whereas ours, you can mix them in cocktails and you'll still taste them in the end drink with the other ingredients that you're involving. Same in a G&T. If you add tonic to our non-alcoholic spirits, they actually open up. They behave like a spirit does and more of those flavors come out in the dilution process. So we're really excited. And I think fundamental differences are the process, the quality of ingredient from growing the botanicals through to the way that they are extracted. And then the fact that it really delivers in the glass is uh, are the really exciting differences. Now, you mentioned a couple of points that are part of the process. Can you give us a little bit more detail about how the spirits are produced? Yeah, of course, Cam. So we do four, I've said it already, there's four different processes involved in making it. Fundamentally, and the most important one is the uh, hydrolyte distillation that we do. And that is using the still, much like we would use it to make a London dry gin, but with water only. So we're putting water into the still and we're Mm -hmm. using the steam evaporation from the water to extract those volatile oils from the organic material that's in there. We have to load roughly double the amount of botanicals that we would for a gin distillation because it's a much less efficient way of extracting the flavor because the alcohol, when you're doing a traditional distillation, acts as a solvent, is also a lot more volatile than water. Therefore, it can capture and remove and extract flavor far more efficiently than um, a water or hydrolyte distillation. Hydrolyte distillation is something we actually use in some of our other products for the water that we cut back the spirit. So we've got a gin that we call Spring Blossom Gin, and we actually distill a London dry gin and a sort of a London dry hydrolyte that we then combine together. So instead of just using water to reduce that spirit, we're using the hydrolyte water to add additional flavor. So it's something that we do anyway. So we had a bit of experience with But that's one part of it. We then do three different types of maceration uh, with different botanicals. And a lot of those are with some deep spices that we're macerating. And like, this is the secret part because I don't want everyone to copy us because we always seem to set the trend. But there's three different liquids involved in the maceration to extract the essential oils of these three different botanicals. And they're done over different times at different temperatures. So uh, the longest maceration is a fortnight. Some of them are macerated for like literally a couple of hours. And it's the combination of these four liquids. The hydrolyte is the backbone of that. And then the three macerations, we combine those three liquid, four liquids together. And that's what creates the end product. Okay. Now you've spoken about the botanicals. 
Are you at all able to go into more detail as to what those botanicals are? Yeah, sure. Lots of them we try and we're, we're growing at the farm, which is exciting for us. And the juniper double dry to start with, you've got lemon thyme, lemon verbena. Those that we're using fresh in this product. There's lavender, there's rose. We've got pink pepper. It's a super, uh, a super sexy mix that goes into the juniper double dry. And the challenge with that one is trying to make something that was akin to a gin. And we're not calling it a gin, but it's just we want it to be similar to a gin and getting alcoholic heat, getting pine notes. Obviously, juniper's in there. That's a, that's the one that we have to have in there. And um, it's really difficult to make something that has a sort of a mouthfeel like a gin or an alcoholic product actually would. But it's the combination of all these processes combined. And I can send you a list of the botanicals afterwards. But it's taken us the last three years of extracting flavors in various different ways, you know, and using ginger and using pepper and trying to get that heat into a product that you would expect to find or that structure that you would get from an alcoholic spirit. Very difficult to do when you've only got water. So how much of the three years was spent experimenting with trying to get that heat? A large proportion of it. I mean, the reality is the recipe changed up until two weeks of bottling the first one because we're always we're always tweaking and improving and, and seeing if we can do it better. A large part of a non-alcoholic, and you know what? Unfortunately, the same with craft gin, you know, a load of us bundled into craft gin and hand on heart, when we first started, we didn't know what we were doing and we were not compliant distilling-wise. So we've had to go on a journey in terms of making our site safe because you seem to be able to get a distilling license by one branch of the government and then health and safety is handled by someone completely different so we've seen at least one of the craft guys in the uk go boom through sort of not understanding the process and regulation and i think the same thing is now happening in non-alcoholic spirits so a large portion of time eaten up by this process is the fact that once you remove the alcohol these products are really not life-stable and making them life-stable because we're trying to make something would you take a bottle of water open it drink some from it and then leave it for um, three months and drink some more from it we're trying to create a water product with as much life as an alcoholic spirit doing that is really hard part and there's a lot of people in the non-out space currently that have rushed product to market and you can tell just by analyzing their products they have not thought about shelf life. And you're seeing a lot of stuff come through now and mold very quickly grows in bottle. And it's a whole different world that distillers haven't had to think about before because, right. you know, if you're 40% alcohol, nothing lives. Nothing will grow. Um, and in yes. fact, correct. And as long as you're, as long as you're actually above 18% alcohol, you are bulletproof. As soon as you go below 18%, little things can start to happen. But for a non-alcoholic spirit, you know, we are 0%. It's a real challenge to get that shelf life. Currently, we are three months opened and 12 months closed, but we're working on that and we're pretty confident that actually what we've come up with, it will definitely last a lot longer than that. But that's an ongoing shelf life trials that we're, that we're working on. So getting that stability and that means you've got to have a really, really, really careful process to make the liquid in the first place. Then a really, really precise way of getting it into bottle, which means you've got a product that's then going to withstand the shelf life. Because the worry is if you get your pH wrong, I mean, heaven forbid, 
but pathogens could grow within the pack. So you're not even going talking about just yeasts and molds, which are going to do people. Yeast is not going to really hurt anyone. In fact, it's probably probiotic, but it'll look a bit mingy in the bottle. But you yeah. can have some really funky stuff start to grow if you're not careful. And I think people need to realize that before they charge at making non-alcoholics. And you know, a large portion of our time is not just creating the flavor, it's making that product safe for the consumer. And that's a big watch out for the entire non-alc industry because, again, as we said at the start, if it doesn't taste good and there's stuff growing in it, it's going to put people off the category and the game will be over before we get it off the ground. So it's important that anyone producing a non-alc has that in, in mind and consumers look for brands that they can trust as well. Now, do you suspect that you will lose gin drinkers to your non-alcoholic products? I suppose, yeah, I mean, there's a chance, isn't there? If, if people love the brand and they've decided they want to cut down or stop drinking alcohol, I mean, the advantage for us there is at least they're still within the brand. And if yeah. people do migrate within that, I think it's, it's fine. And for whatever reason you want to do that, I mean, I'm a big champion of drinking less but drinking better. I don't think we need to, you know, back in the 90s when I was a student, it was literally drink as much as you can, which was just absolutely nuts. I think we're in a much more sensible world in terms of everyone's relationship with alcohol now. And if we get migration from booze to non-alcoholic, I would hope people use it in addition to help use the non-alcoholics to balance. But if they solely want to drink the non-alcoholic, then that's fine as well. I think we should celebrate health choices and life choices for everyone. And as long as we're making drinks that are super tasty, make people feel good, then I think everyone's a winner. Now, how important was it to have a juniper-based expression within your non-alcoholic range? So I think gin is being polluted at the moment, and there's a lot of, you know, gin can only be this. So actually having a juniper non-alcoholic spirit is controversial in itself because you get a lot of people saying, well, they're just trying to be gin. We're not. We're trying to be non-alcoholic spirits. Gin is popular. Juniper is a flavor profile. is currently very popular. So we're trying to make drinks that people will enjoy. And also, if you don't want to drink alcohol, it's a replica so to speak, of that. But we would never call it a gin, which is why we've called it Juniper Double Dry. We don't claim to be a gin, whereas uh, quite a few people will call themselves a non-alcoholic gin, which is not legal and not cool for the gin industry. So this is about creating something that's a substitute. It's about sort of uniting the evening and bringing everyone together. So for us as a gin distiller, I think the heart of everything that we do is juniper. So it felt like the right thing for us to do and create this fantastic drink that everyone could enjoy. So that's why we went with the juniper. And then the pink berry was just because of other ingredients we've got at the farm. And one of those is raspberry and blackcurrant sage. And the flavor profile we managed to get out of those, this beautiful sort of fruity forward and the color comes from the raspberries in their maceration. So again, it's all natural and you get this sort of pink fruity spirit alternative. And we all know that pink gin is massively or pink drinks in general seem to be very popular. And I think that comes down to as humans, if we were walking through a forest and we were starving and we didn't know what to pick or eat, We'd normally gravitate towards pink berries. You know, they're always, they tend to be tasty and good for us. Some might be poisonous, but I think as humans, we associate the color red or pink 
with something that tastes good. So that's why we did the pink berries, a follow-up to the juniper double dry. Now, if people are buying both of these for the first time, what can they expect in terms of flavour overall from each of them? Okay, so the Juniper Double Dry, remember these guys are, you will not get the mouthfeel that you get from a spirit. But we've worked very hard to try and replicate that. Um, We've tried loads of different processes to sort of plump it on the palate and give it a little bit of heat where we can do heat, not in terms of, wow, it's got chilies in it, but just something that's just got a bit more structure than water. Because remember, that's the main constituent in this. But what we've tried to create is something that is not a compromise. So with the juniper double dry on the nose, it's, it's sort of, it's fresh herbal. It's really big on the nose. This one, fresh herbal, pine, hints of rose and lavender. And they, they're grown on the farm and pink pepper on the palate. You've got this sort of lovely soft herbaceous. There's a bit of cardamom going on in there and citrus. And then at the end, some of the other sort of uh, spicier and woodier flavors start to come through. And then you end up with a sort of a, a cinnamon note. So it's actually surprisingly complex as a liquid. Whereas I think if people, and I'd always encourage uh, experimentation, but if people that have tried other non-alcoholics have been put off, give it a go because it genuinely does deliver. And of just some of the feedback we're getting from um, a lot of the biggest gin bloggers and influencers in the UK that had never put their name to uh, any other non-alcoholic spirit because they thought they were not particularly great. They are starting to rave about this liquid. So we're a little brand. And I mean, David T. Smith, who judges and lectures on gin all around the planet, basically sent me a, a text the other day and just went, you've nailed it again. This is just, he said, I don't know how you've done this. And he said, working with Juniper is really, really difficult, but you've nailed it. So that was, uh, I just texted back. Yeah, I just said, David, you've made my night. So it's that's that's really, uh, really exciting for us. Then the pink berry. On the nose, you've got berry notes, Szechuan pepper, a bit of candy floss in there. There's a bit of sort of sweetness on the, on the nose, citrus and chamomile. And then on the palate, big fruity, floral. You know, it's quite sweet. But as, remember, we're not adding sugar to these. This is the botanicals that we're using to create these flavors. Raspberry, strawberry, blackcurrant. And then finishes with a uh, sort of a sweet spice and, or, and ginger kick. So again, that ginger's there to give you that sort of that sensation of the alcohol going through. But both of these are just fantastic and neat. They're okay. Where they really, but they're not designed to be drunk neat. Much like a gin isn't really designed to be drunk neat, and not many people would. With tonic, they really open up and they start to they start to become just absolutely fantastic drinks. So. By all means, try them neat. I think a lot of non-alcoholic brands are worried about people trying theirs neat. Try them neat, but for the real experience, when you add the tonic to them, they really come to life. And it's that the carbonation really helps to carry flavor, much like ethanol would. Carbonation and that effervescence really starts to bring the drinks to life. Now, for both expressions, you've actually suggested Mediterranean tonic as part of your signature serve. Why the Mediterranean yeah. particularly? I think the two reasons. So on the juniper double dry with the gin and tonic, we put a lot of botanicals in there, which give you that spice and structure. And I think with an Indian tonic water, some of the woodier notes that come through sort of get a bit turbocharged. And again, this is all personal preference. There are people out there that will prefer this with Indian. So I, I always say experiment. 
I think Mediterranean tonic water allows certain flavors to come through in different ways. It's a lighter tonic water, a little bit less spiky because it's much lower on quinine. Quinine can be polarizing for people as well. I think quinine accentuates some of the woodier notes in the dry. But do you know what? I actually quite like that. But we've done a lot of benchmarking internally and people preferred it with the Mediterranean. But I always like to say that freedom of expression is the best garnish and the best mixer. So don't be told by a spirits brand how to drink your booze. Experiment. And to any barman out there, they're the best guys to pick how a drink should be served and how cocktails should be made. We can only advise. But Med does work with both of them. Works really well. Med always works well with fruitier gins anyway. So it naturally works great with the pink berry. I actually prefer the pink berry with ginger ale. It is just off the hook good. So I think, yeah, freedom of expression. But Med was unanimously across our team sort of the preferred mixer for the pair of them. We thought the flavors came through the best. However, I like it with Indian as well, the, the dry. I don't like the pink with Indian tonic water, but I do like the pink with ginger ale. Well, I was about to say, if someone is not a tonic drinker, and there are quite a few yeah. people who aren't, what should they mix the double juniper with? Double juniper, if you're not a tonic drinker, I mean, it depends if you're really on a calorie focus, because a lot of people drink non-alcoholic spirits because of they're on serious diets or for health reasons and they want to minimize their sort of intake. Try soda. It's going to be quite a different drink and you're really going to just be tasting those botanicals on their own. There are a few people that like lemonade with gin. I mean, it's a growing trend in the UK at the moment. And I was one of those people that raised an eyebrow and was sort of like over my dead body when it first started happening. But a lot of people are loving it. So, I mean, don't be scared. Never cola, please never cola. But <laughs> lemonade seems to be a growing trend, especially with younger drinkers and gin at the moment, and especially with pink gins, which, you know, pink's become a flavor somehow, unfortunately. But pink gin and lemonade is becoming a bar call. But I think, again, experiment uh, and try different mixes and also try some cocktails. In um, the uh, Juniper Double Dry, we do a fantastic Fizarro, and I can send you the recipe for that one. And there's, we've got several that Jakey, our sort of resident cocktail guys, has sort of pulled together. And it's a non-alcoholic spirit that delivers in a short drink and in a cocktail really adds to it. And you can taste the botanicals coming through. So I think because of the quality and the depth of flavor of these drinks, they bring versatility on the bar and for consumers to really have a play around with. Now, you've mentioned bartenders earlier. Have you sent these expressions to any bartenders to experiment with? Not yet, because it's funny times, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're at quite a distressed place in the UK. We've sent them to a lot of gym bloggers and influencers to play around with, and they've, they've been playing around with the cocktail suggestions that we've sent through. In terms of just puritanical bar guys at the moment, no, because a lot of the guys in the best bars are really having a hard time and we don't, we don't want to add complexity to their lives right now is the, is the honest uh, sort of answer. Yeah. You know, some of the, some of the greatest bars in the UK now, you know, central London, central London's dead because people are working from home, because less people are going out, you know, the theatres aren't open, all of that stuff. It's a really odd time where you've got some of the greatest bars have got really low footfall. And so they don't need us, you know, what they're interested in is getting people in the bar and getting them a great drink. And right now we're sort of not pushing that too heavily with them. But if anyone wants a sample and they're listening, get in contact and we'll see what we can make happen. 
Well, if in that case, if people are going to play with it at home, what yeah. flavours should they be really focusing on with each one? Um, I think if you go to our website, we've got some great cocktail options on there. And off the top of my head, because this is pretty new, I haven't got them locked in. But if, if people want to go to the website and have a play, there's several cocktails for each variant already on there that Jake's pulled together. I mean, obviously, you've got berry notes coming. So if you're looking for a fruitier style cocktail, the pink berry is going to work really well. And if you're looking for something more tuned to the spicier end of the spectrum, so I suppose Negronis, that kind of thing. But Negronis is actually owned by uh, Seedlip, so I don't think we can actually use that as a... But that spiced end of the spectrum is going to work well, maybe with some tea, a little bit of sugar syrup, shake down, or if you don't want to use sugar, have some honey. Those That kind of a vibe. But yeah, the website, there's definitely a long list of cocktails that people can get stuck into. Right. Okay. Now, if people want to grab a bottle, is it going out to the same global markets as you've released the gins or is it being released yeah, in the UK sure. initially only first or what, what are the plans? Yeah. I mean, listen, we're not Diageo or Perna Ricard or William, you know what I mean? We have to fight for our right in all markets. So it takes us a little bit longer. So the global release is probably was Northamptonshire to start with and our website in the UK. And it's going into sort of major retail and the on-trade in the, one of the big on-trade retailers in the next sort of two, three weeks. And then Australia is number one on the list for us and New Zealand. There are two biggest export markets. Uh, it's where we get a lot of love. So, um, but you can't, you can't turn it on overnight. So, you know, there's a travel time. There's nothing on the water yet. We're talking to buyers. So really, really excited about the prospect. And then it'll be Denmark, Hong Kong, UAE will be probably the next in line in terms of our targets. And then we're looking globally at countries that, that have sort of high responsible drinking on the agenda, which is sort of more Spain, Scandinavia and Canada. So they'll be the, the next layer down. But all of this takes time, you know, shipping times. Brexit is coming, which means we need, we have no idea what our trade deals are going to be with the rest of the world yet. So that'll be yes, uh, interesting times. We're inflicting massive self-harm to ourselves as a nation, but it's a different set of rules or we just need to get on with it. So at the moment, we're pulling forward shipments for Australia, New Zealand to like right now. It's got to leave now because it has to be landed before the 31st of December this year which is when the rules change. You don't want anything in transit because anything could happen at the other end in terms of duties and taxes. So it's interesting times, but uh, we'll, we'll get through it. And hopefully we'll get these fantastic liquids down under to you guys as, as soon as we can because we're so excited about them and the feedback we're getting is just awesome. So, yeah, hopefully soon. Well, that's great. All right, Tom. Well, look, thank you very much for joining us. And, of course, if people want more information, they can, as you've suggested earlier, go to your website, which is www.warnersdistillery.com. Distillery. That's the one. Or social media is Warner Zero on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. So just interact with us there. If you've got any questions, fire them in via social or via the website, and there's information there, and we'd uh, love to let you know more. That's great. Thank you for joining us, Tom. Thank you, Tiff. And we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Cocktails Distilled. 
Be sure to visit cocktailcollective.com.au to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.